0: Welcome to Tale of the Tape, a Sterling College sports medicine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Andrew Drake. I am the head athletic trainer here at Sterling, and joining me as always will be the Director of Athletic Training Services, Dr. Pete Menealy. This will be our first official episode. You may be asking, why did we have an episode zero? This answer is simple, really. We wanted to get a trial episode recorded and published just to make sure we had most of the bugs worked out and to get it approved by the major podcast platforms before we published our first real episode. Let's meet our first guest. We are very fortunate to have this individual as our first guest on Tale of the Tape. He's a board-certified athletic trainer that has experience at multiple levels of sports medicine, from NAIA to NCAA Division I, all the way up to the NFL and NBA. A native of Louisiana, he received his Bachelor's of Science in Athletic Training from Southeastern Louisiana, before going to Lamar University to receive his Master's of Science in Kinesiology and Exercise Science. He returned home to join the New Orleans Saints as an intern with their sports medicine staff during their 2009-2010 season where they won Super Bowl 44. After his time as an intern was completed, he joined the New Orleans Pelicans from 2010-2015 to 2015 After the NBA, he joined the staff at Xavier University of Louisiana as the head athletic trainer from 2015 to 2019. From Xavier, he went to Dillard University as the head athletic trainer from 2019 to 2021. In the summer of 2021, he joined the Wake Forest Demon Deacons as their head men's basketball athletic trainer. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Mark R. Moore II. All right, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. Our first ever guest. We're excited to have you, man.
1: I'm happy to be here, man. Great company. Great topics.
0: Yeah, Pete. You know when I when I said, "Dude, let's start a podcast." You know, get some guests for sports medicine on. You're you're the first person that popped into his head, so we knew we had to get you on.
1: Must <laughs> yeah. be some good stories he remembers about. Along <laughs> oh <the way>. yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's one of those things. I mean,
2: I, I think you and I had literally just talked maybe in the 24 hours before that about something random lord knows what you and i were texting about and then he's like hey let's start a uh, a sports medicine podcast i actually went back through our text messages yesterday with him because we couldn't find our list of in know our list of guests and so i found all of this and that's like hey we'll call this segment this and this segment this so we were kind of having some fun with it yesterday but I, I literally he's right like the very first name i threw out was was your name uh and our, our group was like oh our first guest i don't like I said you and I had just talked literally than twenty four hours <clears throat> excuse me before that, so it's awesome man it's great to see you. uh man um i wish we weren't uh you know twenty three hours away from each other to give you a big old hug but uh you know i'll I'll take a virtual uh your face so um man mark's a mark's a great friend a person i literally have watched grown up in front of my eyes and even though he's forty four and i'm forty eight I'm just kidding he's <laughs> way younger than me but uh but uh, yeah, buddy, I'm glad you're on the show, man. This is awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's cool to get um, to be thought of by one of your mentors as the first person to interview. So, you know, I've got to watch you grow too, from uh, from Pete to Daddy Pete to Dr. Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate that, man.
0: Well, one of the one of the first things we're gonna we're gonna start with is something that we're calling the Starting Five. Um, which is just going to be five kind of rapid fire, random questions, kind of get things, you know, loosened up. They're going to have, most of the time they'll have nothing to do with sports medicine in the, in your case, they, none of them do, but it's just, <laughs> just to get the first thing that pops into your head, just kind of get loosened up, get conversation flowing a little bit. All right. Let's do it. Okay. First question in a zombie apocalypse, who's your crew, who you riding with? Let's say four people.
1: Oh, man, this is a good one. Um, I think I'm going to roll with my uncle Jason, who is definitely an engineer and can build and do anything. Um, I'm going to take my stepdad because uh, he's a hunter-gatherer kind of person, and he's got a lot of knowledge on building stuff as well. I'm going to bring my wife because she, uh, you know, I don't want to leave her behind and, you know, We'll figure that out. Oh, I need to get two more people. You know, I bring my kids for the adventure. I don't expect them to do much, but, you know, let, let's go. Let's do yep. it.
2: Nice. 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 Top three movies or shows
1: ever shows? for you. Movies and shows. That's a good one. Um, my favorite TV show is probably Jeopardy. Okay. Um and I grew up a huge uh, Simpsons fan, so those would be the shows. And if I had to pick one movie, ooh, there's been a, a few good ones out with the the Marvel series and Batman. i would probably go Full Metal Jacket. I, know. Oh. I like war movies.
0: Great, okay. great pick. Nice. All right, so we're going. You know, we're out at NATA convention. We hit up a a karaoke spot. What's your go to karaoke song?
1: If peace there, I want to sing it with him, and it's going to be Piano Man. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Just, that, that's the best. Yeah. Um, if I got to sing it solo, whoo. Um, Teddy Pendergrass, Why I Love You. Nice. Nice. No, no, no. Teddy Williams. Teddy Williams. Teddy Williams. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep. Okay. Okay. We're going to dinner at your house. Got the mom and them over there. What are we eating? We're coming to we're your house. Bring crawfish. We
1: eat crawfish. I told you. I'm boiling crawfish. I, I, it doesn't matter where we are. If, I can be, if, if, if the season is right and I can get my hands on some crawfish, we're boiling crawfish.
0: Okay. That's what Pete told me yesterday when I said we're going to ask this question. He said he's going <laughs> to he say crawfish.
2: It. Yes, I do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's the big one. What do you call a sugared, carbonated
1: beverage. A cold drink. A cold drink? A cold drink. Not a pop. Not that a, was not, not that a soda. Expected. Not a pop. Not a Coke. Cold drink. Cold drink. I'm cold drink. Growing up in the waters, that's what we call them. You know, it's like, hey, grab me a cold drink. And you know what it is. It's anything that's carbonated in, in the refrigerator that is cold.
0: Nice. I wouldn't have expected that Never at all. I actually a had drink. written down coke soda or pop just to remind me of the question but cold drink i like that cold drink and it's
1: like one word cold drink. yeah
2: (laughs) yeah the d's just blend together right c-o-l-d-r-i-n-k yeah cold drink yeah (laughs) awesome never i would never guess that
0: (laughs) me neither so i tried to do a little bit of homework since since i don't know you as you know well but Correct me if I'm wrong. You went to we went to Clark, Atlanta first I did in pre-med. Was that is that right?
1: That's right. And that's kind of where I found out that I wanted to give athletic training a shot. To be honest with you, I was um, I played football. I actually played three sports there, uh, football, one year baseball and one year track and field. But football was my jam. And then I ended up getting just like a a simple deep thigh bruise. Of course, they're simple until you can't run or walk on it because it's so painful. But um, I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to do med school. This school sucks, knowing (laughs) what I know now. But um, I was just sitting in the athletic training room and my athletic trainer, Rufus, I can't remember his last name, Mr. Rufus. uh, He had been there for, I don't know, two or three centuries. And I was like, "What's your title? What do you really do?" And he told me, and I was like, "I know I ain't gonna be at Arkansas long because we just had a coach who changed it." And I, I wasn't enjoying my football experience, so I started looking up athletic training back home, and I was like, "All right, I'm gonna check it out." And I went to Southeastern, and that was my. The rest is history.
0: So, what were you what were you planning on on doing with pre-med, Just being like a general practitioner, orthopedic I surgeon. No
1: no idea. You know. <laughs> just, just knew you wanted to do I medicine
0: want, of some sort, huh?
1: Right, right, right. You know, I always thought emergency medicine was cool. Um, my mom worked in the emergency room, emergency department, whatever you want to call it nowadays. And um I used to go in and hang out after practice. Um and I get to see a lot of cool stuff back in the day when, you know, you can hang out in the hospital and see cool stuff. Um and so I was like, man, emergency medicine would be kind of cool, but I didn't really know. Everybody's just like, hey, go be a doctor, go be a mm-hmm. lawyer. You I mean, don't really know at 17, 18 years old what any of that meant. Right. So we don't have as, we didn't have as much access back in the day. Still not to used, use the Dewey Decimal system.
2: Mm-hmm. Again, he's very old, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you go to see Lou, right? Hammond, wow. America. which you saw this year, their baseball jerseys actually had Hammond, America on Hammond them. Hammond, America. Yes, I was, want one. Which is beautiful. So, who? What, what year did you get there? What What was your first fall at Hammond? Two thousand
1: three. Oh three. Seriously. Let's go ahead and date myself. Two thousand and three was my first year there. Um, it was cool. It was. It was real laid back. Um. I had to do some prereqs before I could get accepted in the athletic training program. Knocked those out, and then you know I was over there with Karen Lou, Kerry Burke, lot, Josh Yellen, and had a great time. And Tony, was Tony Trumbetta
2: there at all when you were there?
1: Yep, okay. I started off with Doc, and then oh yeah, sure, Doc. Tony, yeah.
2: And Doc, another guy was
1: there for centuries, right? Um, millenniums.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, yeah, man, what a character. So then, like uh Andrew Bikey, Alan Jeter, those guys were all after you as GAs. Futon,
1: yeah, those, those so. were all after
2: you. You, you don't know, you know, those guys were uh, all at Southeastern.
1: Futon, Futon. Oh, he was there when I was there.
2: Okay, okay. Fulton Hart. Fulton Hart. He's not just a couch. He's a futon. Yeah, it's a great name. <laughs> The uh, and then head...
1: um, God, really. Reggie was before me, T was before me, yep, but yeah, mm-hmm. but futon definitely was there. When
2: I was okay, futon is the head football athlete trainer at Murray State, home of the really? races. yeah,
1: didn't know that,
2: yeah, yeah, we might get him on the show. He's not, he's not near as, as charismatic as you are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've had the the pleasure of working pretty much at every level, it seems. <laughs> um, you know, you you left uh, Lamar as a as a GA. What what sport did you cover at at Lamar as a GA?
1: Cross country and track and field. Nice. I mean, and it was it was it was intense because we had a whole bunch of all Americans from overseas, so a lot of foreign athletes, and they were good.
0: So you let you left D one track and field to jump right into the fire of the NFL huh
1: the fire would be correct <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, one one year spent you picked the right year to be with new orleans
1: all my friends say is only because i was there and they still <laughs> ask me to go back till today so we could try to win another one right but it was um, i wouldn't trade that experience like going through and winning the super bowl for anything but NFL, I, I traded that experience really quickly.
0: Yeah, just just because of everything that goes into it?
1: It's a lot. It's a lot. I and, mean, you know, it's not that I wasn't a grinder. It's just I wanted to be more of a father. Yeah. So, you know, I had a young son at that time and uh, wanted to spend more time with him. And the grind was cool. There's nothing like being in the locker room on, on an NFL game day. Yeah. Um, and the guys were great. Uh, staff was great. But it was so time-consuming. It didn't let me be uh, a father, which I wanted to be.
2: Was, was that a season-long intern? Like, did you know that you were going to be there for the whole year? Or were you just there for the summertime and They asked you to stay?
1: I, I knew it was going to be the year-long intern. And then they did ask me to stay again. And I ended up leaving, I want to say, after game five the next season. Okay. Yeah.
0: So let's start with in-season. What's what's a day look like in the NFL for an athletic trainer?
1: Okay. When I was there, and I think things have changed a good bit, but um, when I was there in-season day as an intern or a season, seasonal intern, who get there before – try to beat Drew Brees in a building. Wow. Would never happen. And I would get there probably about quarter to five. And most days he would beat me there. Um, and then from there, it's kind of like start turning everything on, making sure everything is ready to go um, for any early treatment sessions, uh, making sure that nobody mess with the tape stuff overnight, which is crazy. Um, making sure all the, the the busy coolers were stocked, making sure all the whirlpools are up uh and running, um guys coming in for early treatment prior to, to any meetings or lifts, uh working with them, uh, rehabs and any bumps and bruises. While that's going on, doctor sneaks in and sees probably about, I don't know, 10, 15 guys, um, just just doing spot checks on injury checks on things. Um Then the guys will go to meetings and I go set up the field or the indoor facility, making sure all the hydration is set up and and good to go, which, you know, labor intensive, but with the right people, which it can be fun. Um, Then come back in once that's done, probably get a little breakfast. Guys will come in and start taping, get your tape on, any pre-practice treatments that guys might need, um, And then you'd be off on the practice field for however long they're going to practice. After that, then you have to break everything down, clean everything. Um, Next round of treatments, um, grab some lunch, another round of treatments, restock everything for the next morning, restock the coolers, uh, wipe down and clean everywhere, anywhere. And then you're kind of out kind of out for the day it was about it was, it was were, a grind
0: about what time were were you heading out you're getting there about a quarter to five what time were you heading out
1: you see i don't want to scare people <laughs> i don't <laughs> want to scare people on on a good on a good day maybe 5 30 but a normal day probably about 6 six thirty.
0: that's that's in season let's say you're in march right like out of season What's a, what's a day look like for you, for an athletic trainer when there's no practice? It's like, are guys working out on facility? What, how's yeah. It,
1: or how's you'll it have, out? you'll have, um, you'll have some rehabs going on still. Um, of course you can get there a lot later in the day, but when I say a lot later, you might get there at eight, which is a lot later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you prep, get ready for any rehabs that you have going on, um, work with those guys, you might have some guys want to work outside or so you you'll go set up some hydration stations outside or in the indoor depending on where they want to work out for the guys that are there um march march is combine time yeah. yep so you're going through folders and files and files of like every athlete that is going to be at the combine looking through their medical stuff, making sure you have all the paperwork. Uh, everything's digital now, from what I understand. But they probably still have the folders. I don't know. Yes. It was like a gazillion folders. It's a lot of prospects. So uh, fine-combing through all of that stuff um, in the midst and in between of making sure you get two, maybe even three rounds of, of rehab or treatment for guys that are still in, in the house. Um, but, you, you know, you probably get out of there about 4.30, so not as late, um, depending on what you got going on. But those, man, I'll never forget the carbine folders. It's like endless amounts of folders.
2: Where's that facility at? Like it's obviously not the dome, right? That was game days. Where is this right. practice facility at? Like that's when – I'm picturing where you're parking at, like literally where are you going to work at? I mean, I know New Orleans a little yeah. bit,
1: not that well, but a little bit. Like where is that facility at? 5,800 Airline Drive. You know, I'll never forget it. But um, it is on airline drive, not too far from uh not too far from the airport. And it was kind of like next door to the old Zephyr, which was the minor league baseball team yeah. stadium. Yep. So it was right there. It was less than two miles away from the Ashner clinic where our team doctors were. So it was in a good location in Metairie. Um, and it was also shared campus with the New Orleans at the time Hornets or the Pelicans later on.
2: Yeah. Huh. The question I think, I mean, if, I, if I'm a viewer listening to this, I'm a young athlete trainer. I'm going to go back to combine for a second. In my, in my 19 years, we, we've had one athlete who went to the combine was invited to the combine was a was a two-time all-american offensive lineman named joy gilsdorf i don't think he actually went to the combine but he was invited to go and i remember getting uh paperwork for release of his information which you know i'd like to think that uh at every level nai or otherwise we have the best record keeping ever um but uh things (laughs) andrew's looking away things are uh (laughs) I will tell you, we may have had sportswear. We were probably still pen and paper back then. But so you're an athlete trainer at 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 Bama. How? What are they getting? Because the files you're talking about are from their medical records at the institution they were at before the combine. Correct? Yep. So what is that? They would ask the at staff, sports medicine staff at Alabama. Then also the athlete gave them permission. And they would print off every single thing from their ATS or sportswear or whatever. Is that right?
1: Pretty much. Pretty much. Back in the back in the day, I remember there was a, a room we called it the floor to ceiling. And um had nothing to do with the floor to the league. It's because we have files stacked from the floor to the ceiling. Um, I mean, they keep them for, for forever, and guys will have files that would be oh man, like this thick and they have three of them for one player. And they'd be like, hey, Mark, we need you to um, to scan and fax this file over to uh, to wherever, to the Jets or something. Okay, And so I'm literally sitting at a copy machine or printer. I think, like I said, I think they digitized all this after I left where they paid somebody to come in scan everything in to uh, to some storage, e-storage, and they didn't have those big old files. But, I mean, like, I would sit at the copy machine with binders and just feed them in one by one, one by one. That was crazy. So
2: you guys would yeah. go through, and you guys would find red flags and then tell upper management? Yeah.
1: Wow. So, so we would go through – And everybody, every player got a grade, um, you know, and the grade was dependent upon your medical history, Uh, could be certain things in your family medical history could raise a red flag and lower your grade. And it was intense. I mean, those guys get paid a lot of money, so they make sure that they're not getting any limits. Wow. Yeah.
2: What what we see, I mean, it's, it's it's you know televised now. The combine is, but what we see is a you know a minute amount of the work right. that's gone in to that point.
1: Yeah, and wow. and those student athletes go through a lot too.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Set,
1: they they set up pods, and you might have two or three teams in a pod, and I mean, fine tooth comb. They're tugging on every joint, manual muscle testing every joint. Uh, I mean, every muscle, and then it's like, all right, this seems a little lax. We're going to get an MRI on that. So they'll get an MRI, and all of this information is shared with all the team. And then they have a huge medical meeting where people discuss findings and that kind of thing. It's, you talk about records, medical records, tough.
2: And the at the Combine, is one head athletic trainer from each team go there, or they they don't go there at all because they've already done all their leg work already.
1: Um, no, I think they, they, uh, they'll they send some staff or the head athletic trainer will go and the team doctor will go. Um, at least that's how I was when I was there. Okay. It'd be like maybe two, two team doctors and then maybe two athletic trainers or something like that. And they to into all the metrics and engage everything every doctor's gonna listen to their heart and lungs it's it's crazy
0: we just see somebody like Tua yep Yep. and all we Mm -hmm. talk about is oh he's injury prone he's had all this going on but sounds like they've got pages on pages on pages for somebody that maybe just had one injury let alone somebody like him that had five or six by the time they left college
1: right and that's pages on somebody that nobody's ever even heard before
0: right <laughs> yeah right this that's is the, like oh.
1: one scout saw this one player and it's like let's get his stuff check him out
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah that's a six seven offensive lineman from central michigan that no one heard of until the bowl game that's gonna be yeah. the next you know left tackle for the chiefs the next 10 years you know what i mean it's it's crazy because we all obviously Absolutely. our world lives in the running backs the quarterbacks the you know you know the the flashy players but I mean, every team needs every position, and they they know. Like you said, they can't get a lemon, and they're they're investing a lot of money. It's crazy. It's nuts. You'd said it, Andrew. That he's, you know, you you went to was Clark N A I A or was a small D two?
1: What was Clark? Small D two. So D two,
2: D two, D one, then D <clears> one, <throat> NFL, NBA, then medical hospital setting, high school what? setting, college setting. Division one college setting. I mean, that's that's amazing. It's 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 crazy. Like, I always think that I've been on every level, um, but I've not been to professional level because um, I've small school, big school, D1, NAIA, mm-hmm. you know, the whole deal. But um, that's a great question to be from your settings beyond Lamar. So from the Saints to Wake Forest now, mm-hmm. what's some of the things you can just look at each one of them and say what the differences in, in them are? I mean, when I say bads, it could be goods. It can just be, obviously, professional settings very, very different. That's
1: obvious. Yeah. But I'll tell you this the professional setting ain't very different from major D1. The only difference is those guys were class. And a professional setting, the guys go home because yeah. now you introduce this NIL and mm-hmm. these guys get paid a lot of money now, which is, I think they deserve to get paid because they bring a lot of revenue and they work really, really hard and give a a huge time commitment. And there should be some, um, maybe some monetary means to that outside of just a scholarship. Um, There's not a big difference between major Power Five, Division One, pro sports. I think in some cases, I might have more resources at Wake Forest Approach sport team. Wow. You know, which is right. Uh, Power
2: five, ACC. I mean, it's, yeah. Everybody, and that's yeah. the thing about Power five in general is that you think it's all about the Bamas, the Georgias, the Miami's, the Florida States. It's like, no, there's Wake, there's NC State, there's yeah. Illinois, there's Purdue. there's – They all have to compete with the team I just mentioned. So they got to have the same yep. thing. It's, yeah, it's nuts.
1: I put my facilities that way for ourselves against the most. Especially basketball-wise. And, you know, um, the NFL, you just – your sports medicine team is so big. You're In the NBA, your sports medicine team is so big. Um, So all those extra hands and extra professionals, and um, I think that's the plus in in the pro sports setting, is that you have such a large in-house sports medicine team that – you know, you, you're the team within the team, yeah. and that's kind of cool. Um, right now, Wake Forest men's basketball, I'm the only athletic trainer for men's basketball versus when I was with the Pelicans, it was like four for 15 guys. Yeah. So I think that that's one of the major differences. Um, but also at Wake Forest, I have 13 other athletic trainers I could bounce ideas off of that aren't with men's basketball and they can give me a different perspective they can give me um you know bits of tidbits of what might have worked for them in their sport because most sports are running and jumping anyway you know yep yeah so you know nobody's really reinventing the wheel and then um so i have that sports medicine team there Um uh, when i was in nai i was I was a little bit different because then you're one athletic trainer and you have multiple teams. Mm -hmm. And I felt that I was still able to maintain a work-life balance because those student athletes respected my time. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes a lot of athletic trainers don't respect their own time and they don't set up boundaries and that kind of thing. But I was able to learn to set up boundaries. And um, you know, not only with my coaches, but with my student athletes, and it's like, all right, I, I still got to be a person too. I can't, I can't pour from an empty cup. So, you know, that that taught me a lot more about setting boundaries and and managing multiple people. Not that work for me, but that I'm working with. So, you know, it, it was great. You know, I think every Every setting has obstacles, but they also have um, silver linings. Yeah, no matter where you're at.
0: Yeah, kind of piggybacking off that managing, uh, you know, other people. Uh, one of the the job, you know, settings that you were at was at what Oshner, As I'm saying, am I saying that right? Oshner. Oshner yeah. and you and you were the lead NAIa collegiate athletic trainer while oh. being at Xavier and Dillard. Like, what exactly does the lead NAI athletic trainer for a health system that covers multiple schools. What exactly does that entail?
1: I think I was more of, I don't want to say a mentor, but more of um, making sure that all the athletic trainers at these institutions, one, um, had the the resources that they needed that, that we can help uh, secure and um, supply to make sure that they figured out their management system that worked for them at their university, their sport coverage assignments, their scheduling, who's going to be in the office or who's not going to be in the office. And then um, supporting them when they, they needed support or help. And then making sure that they're taking care of their student athletes, You know, which you would think that every athletic trainer taking care of their student athletes. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. And some people need to be, you know, uh, motivated to do a better job at taking care of their student athletes, making sure that they're getting the rehab and treatments that they need, making sure that they're um, getting the doctor's visits and that the student athletes are going to the doctor's visits and make sure they're managing their, their medical records. So, you know, Myself included, we can get a little bit of lax sometimes. Not 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 many athletic trainers, but some can get lax in in keeping up with their medical records and documenting everything that needs to be documented. And sometimes, you know, you have to make sure that everybody is is doing that. One to protect themselves, and two to to be able to to be an asset to their student athletes, if necessary, down the line in a particular institution. So that that job was very uh, that was probably the most challenging to manage other athletic trainers, because I like to give people um, their own autonomy and their ability to to grow through their challenges and what's difficult for them. Uh, But at the same time, when their challenges are come with a sacrifice to healthcare to those student athletes is like somebody's got to step in. And, you know, could be touch and go sometimes. And I could send some really harsh emails and, and that kind of thing. But but I tried to do my best to lead by example. And that's kind of how I got my medical records keeping game up. It's just like I can't tell these people that they need to do XYZ and I'm not doing it. You know, so I would have shown my note, show Hey, this is how you should do it. Hey, here are some shortcuts to doing it. And it's like, as long as you got it, you know, you'll, you'll be okay. But it sucks to see an athletic trainer lose their license or get into trouble because they weren't documenting what they were doing yeah. and not that they were doing something wrong. They couldn't prove that they weren't doing something harmful or wrong. Yeah. So, you know,
2: what did Austner yeah. use, I means for EMR? <clears throat> they use sportswear or ATS or Cerner?
1: Or... They, they use ATS, and then I think they are now using um, the hospital's EMR. Okay. Um, it's killing me because I, I have it on my phone, like Epic. Oh. Okay. Um, yeah, so they were just using Epic. Uh, I think that's what they – they might have switched to that by now, but they were doing a build-out. Uh, when I was transitioning away, and people were hybriding the ATS and the Epic, and I actually don't personally, I don't like the documenting in Epic because not to say our medical records don't matter like their hospital medical records, but it's different. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, I mean, you you don't you, you don't have a pitching coach charting in the same book that you keep in the score for a baseball game mm,
0: right it's different
1: it's two yep. very different things and both records matter and they count but it's just different my thoughts my personal yeah. opinion what, we, what, do you, we, what what do you guys we, use awake we use we're in epic right now but we're about to get away from it. okay that way to get away that wait okay we're, we uh, document directly into their medical help record at the hospital and then um but i think we started looking at presagia. okay i think that's that's one of the ones we started looking at and you know they all had their ups and downs
2: yeah yeah
1: but one thing that i i learned from john Isha, who was my head athletic trainer at the pelicans is to like just write everything down i mean just have you a little little book or whatever and just write it down so one if anything happens to you at your job you can keep your records and you can say hey this is what I did with this person I had some success because once you leave that workspace then you don't get to have the access to the records of the work that you've done so that's that's one of that's a gem in the gym is it double working i don't think so i think if you write it down anyway that uh, you can use that to transfer into your emr later because a lot of people don't emr it up while they're doing rehabs and treatments
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know but if you write it down you can cross-reference it put it in your emr and and enroll from there you know Josh Yellen, Doctor Yellen, used to always tell us to plan your work and work your plan. So you can start by writing it down before they even get in the building. Mm -hmm. Write down what you think that you want to do based off of what you did previously, and then you know, of course, it's subject to change. They might come in and and be more symptomatic, have more swelling, or they might come in and it's like, "Dang, okay, Wolverine, we see you." you know, and then you, 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 change your plan completely, but, you
0: know. So let's go back to, um, when you left Clark Atlanta and went to Southeast, uh-huh. what, what was that program like? Elaborate a little bit on, on what it was like going from a sports team to an mm-hmm. athletic training program. And, and what did that look like for you?
1: Oh, the transition was very different for me because I went from going to HBCU at Clark Atlanta to now I'm in Hammond, America um, at a PWI. Um, but when I initially took my visit to Southeastern and I just I just happened to be walking through the building. That's what I do sometimes. I just walk through the building and I stopped in Clue's office and it was so inviting, so welcoming. Uh I had spoken with her before and she just has the biggest personality and it was so warm and she showed me around. And I was like, this is a place where I feel like I can drive and I can learn. Um the program had a good history, a good track record. Um Doc Martin had been the head athletic trainer there for the longest time. And uh, you know, he's a, a hall of famer athletic trainer and he had such a huge wealth of knowledge. And that when I met him and interacted with him the first time, um, a lot of people don't get this from him, but I felt like, okay, we're on the same wavelength, you know? And it just resonated with me. Um, me and my classmates, we grinded it out uh, back when you had to put in a bazillion hours and not be like, oh, at my 17 hours for the for the week, gotta can't stay any longer, I'll see you guys on uh, in two weeks it was yep. like grind, grind, grind grind, grind um, and then I made a lot of lifelong friends at the university I, mean, I thought it was, thought it wasn't huge um, they didn't have football and then they did have football because yep. they were bringing their <laughs> program back so you know, the campus was changing and it, it was cool. It was cool. It was very welcoming. I learned a lot. Um, I still use some of the things that I learned on day one. So
2: Uh, uh, pause the show. Mark has an incoming call.
1: (laughs) I'm back. (laughs) Right. Like, hey, if wow. any, if any
2: alarms go off, Mark, just disregard, yeah. keep going. You're good.
0: Hey, I put my phone yeah. on. Do not disturb. So yeah. We should hey, be I've,
2: good. I've answered two text messages so far, which is pretty, <laughs> pretty good for me uh, in 45 minutes. So, so Mark, like you talked about the culture at Southeastern, it was an undergraduate culture because you were sophomores and juniors and seniors. You guys were all growing and there's a mentor thing built in. You had banquets. You had, have you been to other places besides Southeastern that had that kind of culture, that kind of family culture and again you were a student so it's a bit different when you become a, right. a professional but where have you been that's had culture like that
1: I think that I don't know if it's a New Orleans thing or south or almost everywhere I've been in the south we've had that kind of culture um Lamar I actually went there with one of my my, my friends my Guillory from from undergrad we just hang out all the time but the staff was really small but you know even with like coach Trey Clark it was like family environment I feel like when you when you're when you integrate yourself within a sport team it's automatically like family even even with the Saints you know you got a huge roster of guys but I still talk to Reggie Stone and Tex Mango every once in a while Scottie Patton every once in a while, and see how they're doing. Um, I was at a seven-on-seven a seven tournament with with one of my sons, and I saw one of the former guys that was on the team. And, like, I told my wife, I said, like, I can't think of his name. I know we used to call him two-shoes. Uh, and I was like, two-shoes. And he turned back and he looked, and it's like, it was almost like we'd seen each other. You Know two weeks ago, and that was Jonathan Goodwin, by the way, who was an all pro center for, yeah. for the New Orleans Sanction when he played for the 49ers. And it's like, his son was out there too. This I had it on a Wake Forest shirt, and I was like, Come on, come on away, come on away. Um, because you get recruited to, to come to Wake Forest, I was like, Come on. So it's, it's like, even you see those guys, and we, we share something really special, especially winning. Yeah. But it was like family. I mean, when I was with the Pelicans between myself, John Isha, Carlos Daniel, Big Shot, uh, who's David Yovanovich, who's the equipment guy, um, Cullen, if I didn't say Cullen. It's like, we still in, Corey Johnson, we still in group text messages today. Like, Big Shot's one of my good, good friends. We talk all the time. And so it's like, not only I'm on the support staff, but I know if I see Chris Paul or somebody, it's not going to be like, a, he, he's not going to wave me off or anything like that. It's going to be like, oh, man, what's up? Because, like, we were together all the time. Yeah. All the time. So it it, it was really, really cool there. In um, the NAI setting, you know it. It's like, you got to make the best of the space that you have with the people that you have. and Everybody's got to pull the chain the same direction. Yep. And, you know, and that's how it was at Xavier ended. And, you know, HBCUs have a huge family thing anyway. So it's like felt like more family. And yep. then now I'm at, I'm at Wake Forest and I'm, I'm the new guy on the block. But, man, my basketball family there is intense. It's like we, we had a cookout the other day. Somebody's always wanting to do something. And I think that's one of the things that when you're integrated in sports, that it's like you got to be all in. You gotta be all in. And then sports medicine team, same way at Wake Forest. You know, it's we we got a lot of new faces there. And you know, we still hang out, we still, you know, have uh social events and, and hang out with each other's families and so. I think that that's one of the the cool things about the culture of sport period is that it's like hey you got to be all in you got to be family and you know, I think it builds trust and rapport and, and those things that are so important as a healthcare provider so yeah I think and I don't know if it's just me my wife says it's just me sometimes she said I can make friends with a rock so
0: What do you you know, you just went through this, you just got to to Wake Forest. This is your first year there, right? Mm -hmm. How do you go about stepping into a new team and getting the players to buy into you and getting the coaches to buy into you?
1: I think um I think I do it the same way for both. It's like, hey, I'm gonna tell you that I know what I'm doing, and then I'm gonna show you that I know what I'm doing. And I think that's how you build trust, because nobody's gonna know if you can tape an ankle until you tape an ankle. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, I'm gonna tell you that. Hey, I don't think anybody can tape an ankle better than me, and I'm gonna show you. And they'll be like, "Dang, this is pretty nice." So I told you, same thing. Somebody gets hurt. Nobody, nobody knows if I know what I'm doing until something happens. Something happens. I got this. Y'all, you do basketball. I got this. I take care of my student athlete. They build, they get that trust because now you got to spend time with me. I'm going to ask about more than just your injury. I care about you as a person. So I'm going to build on that rapport there. And then I'm going to be a good communicator to my coach. Now, all coaches ain't the same. I get that. But I think when you're a good communicator and you just honest, and open and straightforward. And, you know, I think they appreciate that because they got enough people wasting their time. So if you go in some, in the space and you're just direct and not wasting their time, if they want to open up to you about stuff outside of what you do as a professional, they will, and you'll build that rapport. And then you spend enough time with them that, you know, it's, it's going to be inevitable that somebody's going to ask a question. Or I'm gonna ask the question, Hey, how was your weekend? What did you do? Because I care, and then not too many people brush that off, so I think it's the small things that matter um, in my I, I end all my emails or the majority of them with uh it's like six seven words, Be well, be great, and be kind. I, I think I like to to live by those things. I try to to do well by others i try to be great at everything i do which is a gift and a curse and then most importantly in a world where you could be anything be kind yeah and i i like to use those in every walk of what i do um i know that god blessed me with this joy that i can't shake and i love it and it drives some people crazy but I think it allows me to connect with um, with people because I try to walk in any space I am with a good attitude, give people the benefit of the doubt because I don't know what they're going through, and then I'm a, like Steve Urkel used to tell Laura, "I'm wearing you down,"
0: <laughs> so I don't
1: I don't care I don't care how hard of a person you are, I'm eventually you're gonna you're gonna crack somewhere and I'm gonna seep into that and you're gonna be like man this guy isn't a bad person I trust him he's showing me that he knows what he's doing um and then I think another major way for people to trust you is that if you mess up or if you don't know it gives you an opportunity to say I'm a human I'm not perfect I saw what you drew up in that ATO last game and it was horrible you're not perfect. Um, I messed up. Yeah. But my goal is to get better. Right. Yeah. Because none of us are perfect. So, yeah. you know, and still embracing them when they get upset and get mad and understand that sometimes it's the situation. It's not, um, they're not necessarily mad at me. They're mad at the situation. And athletic trainers need to learn that too. So, mm-hmm. tell people all the time, I don't, hey, I don't make the weather, I just report it. Yep. Cause I'm not out here trying to hurt anybody. Right. But if they get hurt, I'm gonna let you know. Yep. Right. And then I'm gonna get them back. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What's uh I mean the again for our 87 listeners. Um our goal is a hundred on this one, marks. So the pressure is absolutely on <laughs> you to get this. Down. I'm gonna make it happen. Um I, I first met you um, at a church retreat camp outside of Denton, Texas, literally. <laughs> um, and I, I've literally, from that time, not only been a person who you worked with, and when I was training people, you were a mentor for me, to a person that I got to work alongside some camps with, to a person that I worked literally in the trenches with at camps. You know, watched you. You know, watched you grow tremendously uh, as a person, as a professional. So it's really, it's awesome to hear these. You know, like we, as you get older, you kind of like I always say, you make big time where you're at. You know, you know, you know. I'm huge into Ohana. You know, there's, you know, I mean, there's certain things that I would say that I've created for myself over the years. So where, where did you, where did it click for you to come up, to come up with what you say, what you're saying now? where where did you say cuz yes, you you have a joy you have a joyful spirit you have a joyful heart like people love to be around you 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 don't want to be the party guy you just want to be at the party to talk to everybody get to know them all like it's just it's just who you've been your whole life like where did you realize that like when did you realize that like the the be kind like when i don't know
1: i think um little by little along the way little by little along the way and having people like you in my life, um, having a uh, hardworking family, Christian role models like Amani Williams, biggest role model ever. I'm sorry. I'm biggest role model ever. Um,
2: and say again, Amani Williams.
1: Yes. Head coach of the Phoenix Suns. He was my yep. head coach when I was with the Pelicans. Yep. And I can't think of a better person. Wow. Um, I think um, having good supportive friends uh, that let you know when you're wrong. Um, and now I have this wonderful wife and kids and they let me know when I'm wrong all the time, but they're also my biggest supporters. Um, and it's just like, as I continue to get older, I start looking at things a little bit different. Yeah. And you know, I know I wouldn't do the same things, at twenty-five I that I do now because then there would be zero growth. Not even not professionally, not even uh, with my evaluation skills. I do things very different. And it's just picking up little things, little tidbits along the way. And it's like when when you go to like an NATA, there's information in the overload, but if I can leave NATA where one or two tools In my toolbox that I might not use for 10 years. Yeah. Or I might use them every day. And it's just like taking a little bit a long way. As long as it's not detrimental, as long as it's positive, uh as long as it's purposeful, you know, I don't think there's just a a, a aha moment. I think it's little by little. Yeah. Little by little. And then, Now it's just influencing people to be great, do their best. I know that that's, that's a huge thing with me and my kids. Hey, you can do hard things and everything in life ain't going to be easy, but you can do it and support those people when they're going through it.
0: So you've been, you know, in this thing for, you know, 10 plus years, you've been at all levels. What are some stories that is just like, Somebody asked you what you do, right? And you had to kind of explain it. And it's it's just a, a story from athletic training that is just like this is what I do and why I love it.
1: Um sheesh, so many. Um good story. I I I won't use their name, but NBA basketball game. Guy goes down on the court. I'm the guy that runs out there. I'm the guy that runs out there when they get hurt. Um, you see a lot of medical professionals get together. We take this guy off in the stretcher. Um, I leave with this guy and go to the hospital. I'm that healthcare care professional that helps navigate and manage that, that health care when arrival at the hospital. Uh, I'm the health care professional that coordinates and works with uh, doctors um to continue his care, um to, to help doctors understand what happened and make sound and good decisions on what should be done next. Um that healthcare professional that takes the information that the doctor gathers and the imaging and all this and, and works with other healthcare professionals, whether it's a physical therapist or um. Uh, Head and neck specialist or other athletic trainers to build and work with this athlete, uh, best plan of care for him to regain function and ultimately return to doing what this person loved doing as a profession and playing sports. And I think all of those steps are very important. And as an athletic trainer, we should recognize that we do all of these steps. You know, some people think that I just take ankles or some people think that I just do hydration and help, but they miss the preventative exercises prior to the taping. They miss the educational components and the nutrition talks with uh, nutritionists and uh RDs about proper fuel. Um they see the injury, they see the acute injury management part because that's when somebody's running out there and the broadcaster is saying, well, looks like he did this. And it's like, great job, you blew that one. <laughs> and then um so they see that that acute management. And then what they don't see is the the collaboration with other healthcare professionals to navigate this person's healthcare return to, to sport, or not return, just getting them back to, you know, normal life and the daily work and treatment and rehabilitation that you're doing with this person. And then the fun functional stuff. And then the, the mental, health component of helping them build and realize that they can do this again and that they are safe and that we've done all these other steps to get to where they can return. And then it's like that, you know, every athletic trainer's favorite moments when that, that kid who was told he's going to be out six to eight months versus that six to eight month mark. And they're back out there, man, I still can run. I still can jump. It's like, yeah, we did that. <laughs> yeah. You know, you that, did the work, but, but we did that. Yep. And, you know, I don't ever say that, I, don't, I won't ever tell a student athlete that we did that. Be like, you did that. But I know deep down in my side that we did that. Yeah. And it's not just me, it's that, that doctor, it's that strength coach, it's that nutritionist, it's that um, student worker. Who was there trying to just learn and you know see what was going on it's like we all did that and in the center of that is the athletic trainer sorry you know i'm not trying to take anything from anybody else but we we're there every step we're the center of the daisy yeah
2: so. yeah that's great that's super insightful again we, again we're in our our first year second year students our alums are going to hear you know today's episode and and like you said we're always trying to teach the next generation and it's a great way to put it what you just said um i want to stick with stories for a second here one of the stories that you had told me a long time ago i used to go um to oklahoma city to see thunder versus pelicans games and um became come chance to, get this, to, to catch up with you and try to spend a day down there and spend either seen the hotel the night before or the morning of we, we've had lunch together yeah. at times, but, um, I think, um, you'd mentioned CP three earlier. You were with Anthony Davis. When he first got started, you've been with some amazing athletes, but I think a lot of people, they, um, they not only idolize these sports professionals, but they don't realize there's a human element to them. So you, your son, um, was, and is, I'm sure, um, a huge Kobe fan oh. and, there's a time that Kobe, right? You guys played at New Orleans, and your son was with you. Yeah. Can you. Can you tell a again, again, a humanized side to a person who now is larger than life that people don't know? Yeah. The other, you know, mama mentality and this great, yeah, we get that. And girl, wow. dad. I mean, there's cool things that come out, but he was a human being first and foremost. So what, what was what, what was that uh, story? Give, give us kind of the viewers.
1: Oh wow, it is a great story. It is a great story. Um, and rest in peace, Kobe, um, it was my son's eighth or ninth birthday, and his mom brought him to the game, because I was working, and I gave him post-game passes, so they can go to the loading dock, so, you know, might get an autograph, might get to see him, and I asked his mom, "It's like, hey, let me bring him in the back, and so we were in the back, and kind of just hanging out by their locker room and kobe comes out and kobe is talking with anthony davis they had just been together on team usa and um him and ad are talking and we're kind of standing off to the, to the side in and the cut and i'm pointing i'm like there he is right there and then i'll never forget this i'll never ever forget this. and ad was like hey mark come here, come meet my man. He's talking about Kobe. And so Elijah and I walk over there and he was so kind. He was so gentle with my son and he took some time and, you know, he asked him how he was doing. and He talked with him and, you know, same with me. But when, when they say like that, intense mamba mentality and that kind of thing and this is probably the first and only time that i've ever been starstruck in my entire career (laughs) but like just like looking in kobe's eyes he was so intense it was like man this guy is intense and i don't remember if i even said two words but he was just so engaging, so kind, and so gentle with Elijah. And I'll never forget that. I wish that I could find a photographer. A photographer took uh, Kobe and Elijah's picture. And I've never seen the picture. I've never seen the photographer again. But I would love to have that picture if, if ever. You know, maybe he's one of our 100, 200 listeners. And um, Maybe, maybe yeah and it was it was cool it was just so cool and got to see him as more of just more than just a a superhuman basketball player but kind and gentle and all those things with my eight or nine year old son who's happened to be his birthday, which is crazy yeah and it's probably like a two minute interaction and then we went on our way he went on
2: his yeah and was, that was cool that yeah that was cool yeah i mean the the moments you've had you know in your career um making it to Kansas City for the NAI national tournament the super bowl being at the staple center i mean you know you you've been in a lot of cool places i would say i mean again i do i'm not been in your shoes but to watch my son interact with someone who they would look up to and, and and then that person give them literally the time of day, you know, and, and interact with them would, it would be a highlight. Absolutely. You know, I think it's, that's really special. That's really special. I appreciate you yeah. sharing that with us.
1: And Elijah was so cool about it. So like, ah, you know, it's just me and Kobe chatting <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like trying to control my emotions in the inside. Cause I'm so happy my son is meeting one of his heroes and you know it's crazy yeah. and it's like for us to meet Anthony Davis who I work with every day and Elijah's like step to the side AD this <laughs> <laughs> is crazy that's awesome man yeah thanks for bringing that up Pete. yeah that's a good it yeah. always makes me feel warm inside
0: yeah I think a good name for this this segment going forward might just be like stories from the sidelines
2: Ooh, yeah uh, yeah, we're trying to find names for these different segments. <laughs> One of them is from the water cooler. One of them's from the water cooler where we just, we talk about yeah. random stuff when you're, you know, I those people that don't have jobs like us by the way. Um when they get a chance to go to the water cooler break away from their desk.
0: Right.
2: Uh, we right. go to the water cooler, we want to fill the darn thing. But yeah. Yeah, so this is uh what, the stories from the sidelines. Yeah. Continue on with our stories from the sidelines, Andrew. What's our next piece for <laughs> well, okay. a Well,
0: this whole bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, if you any anything you feel like sharing, man, go right ahead. We just have a couple more questions outside of that for you. Is there any other stories from your time in the NFL or now awake?
1: Yeah. Um NFL. Absolutely. I mean, everybody's like, ah, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. It wasn't the Super Bowl for me. It was the NFC Championship game because we were at home in the Superdome playing against Brett Favre. Yep. Hall of Fame quarterback who was giving us the business. And they were giving him the business too. And just like when we won that game, just to I literally took I had water bottles in each hand because you know my goal in life when I was working in the NFL, was to always be the first person on the field when they called a timeout. It's like nobody on my sideline or the other sideline is going to beat me out onto the field, ever. And I think I did a good job. But I took these two water bottles, and I just remember throwing them straight in the air and running on the field. It was so loud in there, and just snow angels in the confetti, and – you would have thought that I was playing like I had just kicked the game winning field goal or something. Yeah. I would just felt to be in your hometown um, doing what you love, young, um, with a great group of guys. And then then we got to pack up and go to, to Miami for a week. Who wants to do that? <laughs> Nobody, right? Except if you're playing in a Super Bowl.
0: Yeah. So, so in game- in games like that, as the the sports medicine staff, do you guys do you really get a chance after the game to enjoy the win or is it kind of like you know you're you celebrate it for a second and then it's like straight back to work?
1: You know that's funny. I think it's like i think we i've always been able to live in the moment and work at the same time <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I can enjoy winning and enjoy the atmosphere and still get stuff done and you know it's like next man up if you walk if i'm putting stuff up and you walk in you gonna get this big bear hug and the high fives and we go celebrate and i'm gonna get back to getting this stuff so we can get out of here as quickly as possible so um more so nowadays i'm, I'm kind of locked in getting the work done so we can go home mm-hmm. but but when you win, it's it's great to win. Oh nothing's better. Nothing is better than watching the joy of especially these student athletes now. It's like we had a big game. Where were we? This was at wake. Where were we? I don't know, this was a huge game and we won. And and when coach walked in the locker room, like the guys just had the water bottles, just ready to just You know, champagne celebration with water after every big win. And just to see their joy and their excitement and to watch the coach get fired up and pumped up about it and just enjoy it with them. I think that's where I'm at in my career. It's like I'm happy, but I'm happy or I'm even happier watching these young men, you know, achieve and, and be great and you know it's fun it's nothing nothing's better than win nothing better than win
2: best pregame coach you've been a part of
1: Ooh. oh man steve forbes is fiery okay Steve Forbes, that wave force is fiery
2: you guys and had then- an incredible season this year you guys way went beyond expectations this year right i mean you guys
1: Last year, they won the year before last, they won six games. This yep. year, we won 25. Yeah, crazy, so
2: can, crazy.
1: That's a huge turnaround, absolutely. Uh, l- largest turnaround in ACC history. Wow. Um, and uh, one of the largest turnarounds in NC2A history. And Steve Forbes is fiery. I mean, he gets you going. Yeah, he gets you going. But he- I also had. Two of the great coaches, golly. I don't even know. Sean Payton was great. And then I had Monty Williams. You know, I've been blessed.
2: So I'm the I'm the hype guy, okay, in our locker room. Our our, our women's basketball team. I've been over 19 years and worked with one hall of fame coach. And uh our coach now was a freshman my first year here. So I'm the hype guy. I have been for a long time. Um so my my thing has always been who will and the girls yell back we will. So of the of those, um who who had like like again the catchphrase, like uh, you know, the former coach Wichita State, his thing was play angry. And Rutgers uh-huh. when Shiano was there was to keep chopping wood, like row yeah. the boat, right? at Minnesota, like what's has anybody had like the Forbes have or Peyton or those guys like during that season or oh. Monty? have like this catchphrase, the thing they always finish their speech with, the, you know what I mean, was there anything like that?
1: You, you know, um no, not that I can remember right off okay. the bat. We had some sayings with the Saints. Uh, but every time we break the huddle with Wake Forbes, every time we broke the huddle with with the Pelicans, uh, and a couple other places, you know uh it's been really cool that we always break the huddle on family yeah and i really feel like you know they mean it when when we break the huddle and it's like family it's like other people try to break the huddle with something else it's like nah that's not what we say here we say family and win lose or draw family and i know how big ohana is for you and that's kind of where where i've been at yeah you know, that's kind of where I've been at. And that's been kind of cool. Um, Forbes is fire. <laughs> For, I mean, because something could happen in the game and like somebody from the opposing team could say or do something. And as soon as we get back into the locker room, you know, after we kick their teeth in, that's what we're yelling in the locker room. Like, um, I don't I don't remember the team we played, but after this one player, every time he made a three-pointer, he'd be like, boo! <laughs> so so as soon as Ford walked in the locker room after that game, we won that game. The first thing he's like, boo, just like you know, making a mockery of that player because yeah. we just kicked their butt. Yeah. So I mean. Of all the coaches I've ever had to worry about uh, blowing a gasket in the speech, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. I That's love awesome. it.
2: That's awesome. This year, our, our theme was run as one. That was our uh-huh. calling card. I, th- actually was, I think it was the Pelicans a couple of years ago was run as one. Um, and so I would break, we would get, we would leave the locker room. We would go onto the court and then the girls would circle up around me. And so I would say, some, I'd say a few things and I would say one on run as family on three. So I would say run as the girl to say one, I would then say two, three family. So it was, uh, uh-huh. it became like our thing. And, uh, um, yeah. you know, our, we've always had this, this saying here for a long time when we, you know, we you've seen our videos of putting kids names on the wall. The best there is the best there was yeah. best ever will be. It's been again, another calling card thing for us, but you've been part of some pretty really cool locker rooms, but, um, to kind of finish our segment here, um, to, to get back to, you know, the, the root of this podcast about sports medicine, what is, you know, I, I would say, Andrew would say, Hey, Pete's the ACL guy. Um, what, what is Mark? I mean, um, I have some, I have some ideas beyond what I know you as, um, cause you've worked with me on a few projects actually last on the last few years mm-hmm. that I think what, what are. If in the in the world of athlete training, the seven seven domains are you know how many domains are right now, but what's what's your calling card? What's your this is my home run spot, man. I'm not a great pitcher, but I'm a great power hitter. Like what what is it you're great at?
1: Um, a great question. I think that from a clinical standpoint, um, recovery yeah. has been recovery has been my thing um, as of recently. Really big on recovery um if i had to pick an extremity um i i i really like the the foot and the ankle not just the ankle but i like the foot and the ankle okay um but i think that my calling card is really the mental health component and really connecting with the student athlete i I don't think that no no matter how Good of a clinician, you are. If you cannot connect with them, it won't matter. Yeah. So I've been, I've had some troubles connecting with some, but, you know, my care extends way beyond the physical part of who they are. You know, I really care about their well being and their mental status and, and that kind of thing. But if, From a clinical side, if I got to hang my hat on something, it's going to be uh, recovery. Now it would be recovery and injury prevention because if I can prevent stuff from happening, that'll give me, uh, I don't want to say give me less work, but it will lighten my load. And then if I can help people recover from what they just put out, then I think that helps reduce the injury from a fatigue and uh, um, mobility and being able to move side. Too. Yeah. 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 So now you- I do, I do love manual medicine. I love to put my hands on people. I do love, I think that if I can, especially if I can feel it and I can work on it, you know, I like, I like to really do that. And yeah. I, I do that a lot in my recovery and preventative stuff.
0: So you've got your corrective exercise certification and your performance enhancement certification. Mm -hmm. And I think I saw that you got BFR as well. Yeah. Is there anything continuing ed wise or certification wise that (sighs) anything that's come out that's new or anything like that, that you like, what's on the horizon
1: on the horizon? I have, um, I didn't, I'm so mad. I started weight at weight, like, Oh, a week too late because they did the, the dry needling oh, wow. course. Yeah. I, I would love to do that, but um, we have enough clinicians there that can do it. Um, I know enough about it and I've, I've seen a lot. Uh, eventually, I will get that. Um, uh, I'm learning a whole lot more about shockwave right now, uh, oh, wow. and okay. utilizing that. I actually got somebody coming in to teach me tomorrow. Um, I I think it would have to be the, the dry needling part. Um, I think it's helpful in, in some situations. Um, you know, I'll just put my hands on you. I can't get off. I I can't stick the, the, the needle into you, but, um, I've always kind of wanted to take an ART course, but I've learned a lot of ART stuff along the way. So it's like, do I really need to take the course? Yeah. Because I've never been a person that cared about credentials and titles and all that kind of stuff. Because you can have a, a wonderful skill set and know how to do grasping and K tape and corrective exercises and ART and all that, and never sat in any of those classes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but they do help people get jobs. So, young people, you know, it, it looks good on paper yeah um but but yeah i don't know you guys got anything cool in the pipeline that y'all been looking at or or wanting to do never thought about going back and getting my dat never really thought about yeah. that no
0: no i'm i'm taking a, a bfr course this summer looking for really so, looking forward to that i've heard have heard good things um we've had a past two years here we've had a pt that that does dry needling for us um mm-hmm we are our, our team chiropractor just got a soft wave set up. Unfortunately, nice. he's, a, he's an hour away from us. So he did bring it and, and show it, demonstrate it for our yeah. students and stuff like that. So we did get exposed to that a little bit. You know, we're looking into, you know, maybe getting some, some lasers or some light therapy or, uh-huh. you know, stuff like that to, to, to help our student-athletes, but almost more importantly to expose our program students to that type of technology so that when they step out into, you know, the the workforce, it's not, not everything is so new and foreign because we didn't have it here for them to to utilize.
1: So here here's my tidbit, and I know a lot of program directors, and they know this, and they probably don't do it. or they might not know it, but what I would challenge you is to, if there's a new piece of equipment out there that you would like to expose your student-athletes, whether you can afford it or not, to have them come in, demo the product. Let let them. Most time, if 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 they come and demo a product, and you know whether you can afford it or thinking about buying or not thinking about buying it, to say, hey, let me demo this product for two weeks, a month, and. You know, that gives you a month of exposure to something that you can't afford, um, and they'll get to learn and utilize it, and, and if it's something that benefits your student-athletes a whole lot, then it gives you an opportunity to go to your administrators and say, hey, we've utilized this, look at some of the results that we got from it, and I think, I know it's expensive. But I think from a healthcare standpoint, this is a product that will put us over the top or anything. And then if they can, when people can see results and they can see and they have enough people singing phrases, sometimes they find money for stuff. Yeah. But get that free demo.
2: So we, we've tried really hard here. And one of the things that I've always tried to do is give our students things that NAI schools don't have. You know, and I, and I uh, will kind of finish our segment off today with this here in a minute. But, um, you know, we went out and bought a diagnostic ultrasound last year nice. that that uh, was not very expensive, actually. And Andrew is really the only one that's really played with. it. It's a butterfly IQ, um, mm-hmm. a couple of grand. Honestly, I was shocked it didn't cost more. Um, you know, we we got into the Norma game and now we're in the Norma and rapid reboots because that's. That's you know again it's recovery thing we you know we're looking at adding you know when we got our newest chat um, combo unit it has biofeedback and now we're looking at adding the laser option to it this summer. Um, the new Vectra. Yeah, the new Vectra. Yep, yep. So you know we'd love to get you know a, a really nice laser, uh, right? A, a forty thousand dollar laser. We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> the afford force. the. Uh, yeah, we are not gonna be there, but diathermy um BFR you know we're we're trying to do we're trying to get those things on a on a budget that's you know not very big it's which in an it's an NAI school and fine we we have fundraising we'll do some cool things but Uh andrew's been really big into BFR I um I mean I I try to always grow i i mean i've been around this business for a long time now and i you know having a physical therapist here in our in our in our clinic two days a week has been really beneficial for me um to think about what I'm doing with my with my rehabs. And yeah, because I, I do I, I have my folders of every ACL I've ever done in my entire career before Sterling. And I go, okay, this is week two, and this is week three, and this is what you look like, this is what they look like. And and then you know, I'm just trying to find other ways. But we've we've been way, way into manual therapy, you know, and I've never been an athlete trainer who believes that just icing stem is the answer. I would say, you know, in this amazing facility we have here, this is beautiful. I'm still shocked to get to work here every day. You know, every other table has a combo unit. In the old AT room, we had two combo units for five tables um, in a room that wasn't very big. And now every other table, you know, there's one in between. But I would okay. say if you came in here in one day, I would bet those machines would actually be used for less than two, probably less than an hour total. We don't. We, And that's that's now you'd ask me 15 years ago. That's all I would have done myself Mm -hmm. and one assistant athlete trainer. We would just let's ultrasound it. Let's e-stim it. Let's let's ice it. Let's just heat it. You know, now we roll out and we have stretching Mm -hmm. routines we do now. And, you know, those those kind of things. So we're we're interested. I'm interested in Andrew BFR. I'm interested in um, uh, dry needling. And all my staff know if there's there's anything they want to go get better at, just come just come ask me. I got money for you. I'll pay for your flight. I'll pay for your hotel. I'll pay for registration because whatever they bring back, not only benefits our athletes, but also you have a graduate AT program. It benefits our kids too. So, um, that's interesting. I I love when you, I was going to say, you know, your mental health EAP that you created at Xavier, you know, I, I literally use that in my class every semester when the students have to create their own mental health EAP. And that is, that is the guide they have is that document you created. They can't obviously plagiarize it but it gives them an idea of what this is a good menu right this is a good Mm -hmm. script to follow but they got to make it for sterling college with our resources we have and without what our protocols are here and so yeah i I, i'm all it's cool you said that because i i absolutely thought mental health i thought mental health eap i thought eaps and then i thought administration Mm -hmm. were things you're also strong at because again working camps those were things that you were great with you're great in emergency situations you were great with administration um paperwork getting stuff turned in staying on top of things you, know, you always took notes like those are things that i would have said and so but like i said you've evolved and there's things you know you know you're really big into hydration sweat the stuff that gatorade's kind of been doing now you were doing before that at new wow. orleans right those are things we talked about before but one thing I, I'm so excited about this, about this, this series is podcast, is Andrew said it earlier today. He said it to you before you got on, like, as long as people are interested in the content, you'll draw people in, you know, like we, we both listen mm-hmm. to Joe Rogan and there's definitely people he has on weekly. And I'm like, I'm not gonna listen to three hours of that. And there's other people <laughs> like I would listen to nine hours of that, you know, um, and I hope that people feel that way about this here. Um I think I kind of a last, a last question for you, Mark. It's kind of, it might be a two-part question. The first one is we work at an NAI institution and no one would say that CELU, unless you're at CELU, is recognizable, right? It's not Bama, it's not Georgia again, it's not K-State, Oklahoma. I, I have an inherent issue that my students leaving here from Sterling College at an NAI institution have no chance at a Wake Forest job because and you've seen every level now the kid that leaves a major division one power five athlete training program and the kid that leaves Sterling college, Southeast Louisiana, smaller schools, they oftentimes feel like they have no chance at that job literally because it's always within the family. And I mean, the family, like power, power five is going to hire power fives, big 12 is going to hire big 12. And I would say our students are the best in the country. And I can't prove that. And it's probably not I even mean, that accurate, but we believe that my kids believe that, but you yeah. have broke, you have broken those barriers. But right. what would you say, and I got one question after this, what would you say would be the the answer to that, you know?
1: Yep. Um, I think you said it earlier, be great where you are. Um, be big time where you are, um, no matter where you are. And you have to be willing to, one, try, and put yourself out there, and then let your work show for itself. Um, you build your network and like, I would love to hire somebody from Sterling college to come to Wake Forest because I know where they're coming from. To me, I don't care if you were at Alabama, USC, or that Duke, that don't don't matter to me. Show me your work. Yeah. And I've been, I've been fortunate to be on the side where I get to hire people. Yep. Show me your work. And I talk to some people with big time aspirations And I was like, well, tell me about your work. Tell me about your skill set. Tell me about this. And it's like, nah, nah. And then I've talked to some other people who come from the big time places. And I hear about their skill set. and Tell me about your work. Tell me about your path. And then I'm like, all right, well, tell me some people you know. And I'm like, I'm not hearing buzzword name people outside of UNC. And not to hate on UNC, but, you know, even if you say some buzz named people at UNC, guess who I'm calling? Those people. Yeah. Because over time, I've built these relationships. I tell people all the time, I made it to the NFL and the NBA because of working hard and having relationships with people. How I got in the NFL is because Reggie Stone was the head athletic trainer for the New Orleans Voodoo at the time when I was an undergrad, my junior and my senior year, I worked games. That's it. I worked games and I bust my tail. I wasn't somebody that you had to tell over and over and over to do the same thing. I paid attention to detail. Um, I was pleasant and I thought I built, built good rapport. I always wanted to know what was going on, why we were doing this. Um, and using a proper form to do it, not always right when it's happening. Um, you know, I asked my team doctor questions. I asked them all that. And I worked for free for two years. One of those years, I, I didn't turn my time card in. I still kid myself for that. <laughs> didn't turn my time card in. But the first year, I, I did it for free. It's because I wanted the experience. I wanted the knowledge. I wanted, you know, I didn't care who the athletes were. I knew I wanted to work in pro sports, so why not go work for free? Why not go learn something? And then he called me. He was like, hey, I got a spot open. I was at Lamar. What you doing? I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Well, we got a spot open here at the Saints. Cool. Reggie wasn't a head guy at the Saints, but I I bust my tail for Reggie, and so you he know. knew my work. Yeah. He knew my work. When, when I left the Saints, I was at Dill University for three days. Uh, the team doctor, who was the team doctor for the New Orleans Voodoo at the time, was the team doctor for the Hornets. Dr. Scott Montgomery. Love him to death. Oh, yeah. He, um, there, there was an athletic trainer that left and, and kind of left him in a bad spot. And he was like, hey, we just need somebody to come fill in during training camp. Can you do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I was there, I wasn't starstruck. I wasn't trying to be big, puffy chest and all this. I'm in the NBA. You know, I'm big, puffy chest. I worked in the NFL, so I know what to do. I was like, ah, let me just work. Let me just work. Let me do what they asked me to do. Let me do it to the best of my ability. Let me learn and see what else they got going on. Let me talk to some of these other professionals in the building, the strength coaches, and see, hey, what are y'all using? What are y'all doing? What are you doing here? Why are you doing this, this, that, and the other? And it was like, okay, okay. And then on day three, they offered me a job. <laughs> they it, they didn't care wh- where I went to school or where I came from. They just knew that when I showed up, I was gonna be professional and I was gonna work hard. And then my skills weren't weren't horrible, and my skills continued to get better. And you know, you can make it from anywhere. Yeah. Venus and Serena started playing tennis and compton. And their dad had never swung a tennis racket in his life. Very exception to the rule. Yep. I'm not saying I'm in I'm a very exception to the rule like Venus Arena, but I think if you put the work in and you take the time to to put more things in your, your toolbox and master your craft and build your network, people will notice you. Yeah. You know, and you can you can make it anywhere.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um I think uh Uh, some I've, I've said to you before, and I've said to many of my other minority students, and you are literally a living example of this is that you've not been given opportunities because you're a man of color. You've earned those opportunities, but at the same time, people before you were never given those opportunities, Mm
1: -hmm. you
2: know? So it's a, it's a great, it's a great thing to, to be again, a, a young And you're not young as anymore. Again, he's very old. (laughs) A young black man grown up in New Orleans being in all the places you've been and always being humble, but being hungry, but um, observant of where you've been and how you got there, you know, but realizing who was there before you that didn't get the opportunities that you got, you know, that's a, that's a cool thing. Like the the group text message that you were part of with other athlete trainers, you know, I've talked about before. You know, is is an incredible support system of people to be able to just talk about what's going on in their lives. You've had incredible mentors in your lives that are female, that are Christian, that are Jewish, that are that are male, that are white, that are black, that are brown, that are you know, and, and you've been able to take all those things from all those people, and you know, that's why it's just it's really cool to see it today. Um, listen to you talk because again, I've known you probably since the 04 summer, is my guess. You know, yeah. um, you know, and just it's amazing to see your growth, but just embrace who you are and and not care in the least what society says, um, about you know what you're supposed to be and where you're supposed to be at because of what street you grew up on, you know, or who your mom and dad was, or as, as you would say in New Orleans, your mom and them. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, it's been it's been it's been awesome to have you on here. I would say that uh um, Mike Fultz, Karen Lou, Pete Manili, Carrie i are very proud of you. Um, it's cool to see you on here I love today, all buddy. Of so, you guys. yeah, I love yeah. Them, all of you. Yeah,
1: and you know, it's 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 crazy because I remember back in the 04 summers, I remember you know, work hard, play hard too. Yep, I remember grinding, I remember you know. Scraping up cheerleaders off the floor. Some of my best injuries ever are still from cheerleading camps. And what I remember most, the people, the people, and we we were always family. Cause yep. one, we were all we had. It was like six of us versus three hundred. And when our backs were against the wall, everybody had each other's back. And every every decision wasn't always an agreement, but we always made it work. You know, we were flexible. Good people, though. Yeah. Good people.
0: Yep. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Good times. If we can go back to senior frogs.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah.
0: We, we appreciate you coming on, man. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure to to sit here and, and chat with you. I know it's been great for Pete to to catch up with you, and for for me, it's been great to you know to meet you and to to kind of take this this time we spent to get to know you a little bit.
1: Awesome. Hey, I appreciate you having me. And, you know, if there's ever opportunity or desire or if, you know, whatever it might be to talk about, I love to, I don't mind lecturing. I don't mind talking to your students because those are the professionals that'll be standing next to me in the trenches one day. Um, and I, I definitely don't mind sharing whether it's my story or whether it's about, you know, uh, recovery or mental health preparation or, or all those things, you know, I love to do it. I love to do it um, because I remember where I came from. I remember the people who came out and took their time and talked to me. And, you know, who's to say uh Sterling College athletic trainer can't be a head athletic trainer in the NBA or NFL or or – power five or anything else because I know the cloth that they're cut from and I'm cut from that same cloth in so many different ways. And so, you know, I'd love to get that back.
0: Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: And it'll be fun. Yeah.
0: Yes, it will. (laughs) All right, man. Well, Well, you have a good day. Um, and we will, uh, hopefully have you back on this thing again when, uh, our segments are a little more polished and and we've we've got a little better you know handle on on what this thing looks like but we appreciate you kind of working through it with us <laughs> it was it was it was good to talk with you
1: awesome good times man love y'all y'all be well y'all be great go be kind and uh until next time that's right absolutely